Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Well, let me start with a joke. I actually, um, there's an old guy, his name's George, so he's 95, right? He's got, he's not feeling all that well and he's got a little hard hearing and so he decides to go see the doctor and so he goes to the doctor and gets the report and a couple of days later, the doctor sees George in the local park and George is there with this beautiful young woman and they're like clowning around with each other and so the doctor goes up and says, George, you must be feeling really much better. He goes, doctor, I took your advice. He goes, what was that? He goes, you told me to find a hot babe and, and to hang out and be playful. He says, George, I didn't say that. I said, be careful, you have a heart murmur. <laughs> Might help you. All right, one day God watches through Moses is in the garden. He's done a lot of the naming of the animals and he notices that Adam is kind of looking kind of lonely and sad and God says, Adam, I'm going to make you a helper. He's going to be a, she's going to be a companion, and I'm going to call her woman. She's going to cook for you. She's going to wash your clothes. She's never going to be upset with you, and she's always going to agree with you. Adam says, wow. Um, hey, God, how much is that going to cost me? That's going to cost you an arm and a leg, Adam. He goes, God... What can I get for a rib? And the rest is history. <laughs> All right. If you got the outline, why don't you pull out your outline? I want to I want to delve into a boundary on the boundaries between faith and grace. I want to look at uh, where we are. If you've been associated with the Christian walk for a length of time, there's a lot of discussion about faith and grace. And I've been studying a lot of the scriptures this week on what activates grace, what activates faith, and what tends to hold back faith. So let me, um, let me ask you, what is the definition of faith? Somebody give me a definition of faith. Belief. I hear confidence? Okay, that's good. One of the definitions is complete trust and confidence in God. So faith is complete trust and confidence in God. Hebrews, can somebody tell me what Hebrews' definition of faith is? The substance of things hoped for. Right, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11, that's Hebrews 11.1. You might want to jot that on your outline. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is a substance. It's a substance. In the kingdom revelation, in the kingdom economy, faith has substance. It's evidence of things that are hoped for. And so we see that there's this mark of faith, and everyone seems to get a measure of faith. In fact, no one can come to God unless they believe that he is, right? And he's a rewarder. How about grace? What is the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. That's the one you often hear. It's, it's free. 
It's unmerited. You can't earn it. It's also given in divinely given gifts. Remember the charismata, the, the, the grace of God. It's those grace gifts that are given. So you have faith, which is complete trust and confidence. And then we have the unmerited favor of God, which is grace. Well, let me ask you, can, can faith be measured? Okay, we got some yes and no's going on. Let me show you some scriptures. I believe you can measure it. In fact, how about a scripture that says, how much do you need to cause a mountain to go into the sea? It's got to be the size of, right? He said, one of the smallest seeds is a mustard seed. He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can command a mountain. Then he talks another scripture about a mulberry bush. You can have that root, that thing uprooted and thrown by faith of a mustard seed. So when he talks about measure, turn with me for a moment. Let's turn to Romans 12 in verse 3. Romans chapter 12 in verse 3. Let me read King James, and I have New Living Translation. So I have the, the word for word, which is King James, the 1600 version. Then I have the New Living Translation, which is our thought for thought. King James says, Romans 12, 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, Paul, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There's the measure of faith. New Living Translation says, because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, Paul says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourselves better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. So there's a measure of faith. In fact, he says that if you're going to do anything about how gifted you think you are, it's based on the measure of faith God's given you. <clears throat> it's not going to be a lot of what you think is important, how much stuff you got, how many things you've done. It's going to be based on the measure of the faith that God has given you. So, in fact, turn back a few pages to, let's look at Romans chapter 3. There's actually a law of faith. And we see this activated. And you see it from this whole discussion that Paul has to the church at Rome. He talks about, you're not going to be saved by works. This whole thing of the law, if you think you can be Mr. and Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes and get into heaven, it doesn't work like that, right? Then he goes on and he talks about this statement. He, he makes it in, in uh, Romans 3.27. Where is their boasting then? I like what Mike talked about in Philippians this morning, Pastor Mike. It is excluded by what law? It's a question. Is it of works? He asked the question. Are you boasting by your works? By the law of works? No. By the law of faith. The law of faith. Interesting. Can you give me a, um, a, maybe a scripture that you recall where there was an activation of faith that Jesus himself says he wasn't necessarily aware that it had been activated until after it happened? The woman with the issue of blood? 
right? Remember the, the crowd presses? It's in Mark chapter uh, 5. Mark chapter 5, right? There's actually three conditions of faith in that chapter. And uh, it's that whole desperation. It just releases or it activates this desperation in God activates the miraculous. And you have the, the man with the 6,000 demons. Jesus gets off the boat. He runs to the feet of Jesus. So the demons can't even stop this man from getting to the worship place of Jesus. Now, at that point, we know what happens is an activation. He sends the demons into the pigs. The man is, is released from his torment, and he becomes an evangelist. We also see that Jairus, the religious leader in that one, his daughter's dying. He gets to the feet of Jesus, desperately says, come to my house. My daughter is dying. When he's on the way, what happens? They come and they say, don't trouble the master anymore. Your daughter's already dead. Jesus turns to them and says to the husband and wife, Jairus says, do not be afraid. Have faith. Just believe. And we know what happens goes to the upper room. The child is raised from the dead. But in the journey of that, here comes the woman with the issue of faith. And it's, there's no indication by Scripture that she had ever personally met Jesus, but she'd heard. And she says within herself, here's the activation of the measure of faith in the woman, says, I've spent all my money. I've been 12 years to doctors. I have nothing left. If I can just grab his hem, I will be healed, right? And she presses through the crowd, and you know the story. All of a sudden, Jesus stops and says, virtue left me. The power of God in Jesus himself activated the law of faith, and what happened? It's all, something just happened to me. Who touched me? Of course, the disciples are going, uh, listen, boss, uh, there's a lot of people pressing on you right now. No, 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 no. Someone touched me. What do you mean touched? Touched me in faith because I can feel the anointing leaving me and activating that revelation of healing in her. And she, now it was illegal. She had to step out in faith. First of all, a woman with that condition should never, it was unclean in the Old Testament. And a woman touching a man, unclean, not allowed. But the activation of her faith. And what happens? Jesus says, your faith has made you well Go in peace. Those are all different measures of faith. Now, you might say, well, maybe my prayers aren't being answered because I don't have enough faith. Hold on, Jesus. Hold on. Let's look at, um, let's look at another one. Look to, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. This one, Jesus says, was the greatest act of faith, and it wasn't in, even in Israel. There's something about authority and respect and honor. When you honor the God who is, watch what happens. Another familiar scripture, Luke's chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all these things to the people, he returned to Capernaum. And at that time, a highly valued slave of the Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he said, he sent some of the respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. Now, this is interesting. The Roman conqueror had a relationship with the religious Jewish leaders, and he had such an act that he could ask them to go petition Jesus. Now, that is an, an anomaly in itself. To have the Jewish leaders who want to kill him, right, go and ask him to activate to this Roman officer to heal his Hey. But the Jewish leaders respect and honor this, this centurion, this officer. Why? 
So they earnestly begged Jesus to help him. Here's their comment, quote, if anyone deserves your help, he does. They said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. Whoa, I wonder if this is Cornelius. It doesn't say, but we know in Acts chapter 10, there's another example of that man who had alms and had given and his whole family gets saved. I I don't know. But this is another example here. When Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. What? The Jewish carpenter who doesn't have a job, who doesn't have a home, who does, is not ordained by the natural man, he can't even come to his house. But the Roman officer says, I know who you are. I know who you are. I can't have God himself come to my home. So he says, just say the word. I'm not even worthy to come. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now you see the activation of faith there? Because I know this. I'm under authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers and I only have to say go and they go and come and they come. And if, my, if, and if I say to my slaves, do it, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. The son of God was amazed. like, say what now? And then his comment says a lot. I tell you, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to the house, they found the slave completely well. So here's the activation of a fully submitted one who knew by revelation who is God. You just need to say the word. It's in the word. Just say the word. It's done. That's 100% faith activation. But now let me give you one where I don't see any faith, and God still does it. That's why when faith fails, his grace prevails. Come on. That ought to help you, make you happy, because look at this one. Read right on. Verse 11, Luke 7, 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. A large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. A large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. He walked over to the coffin, touched it. The bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Get up. The dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Can you imagine that talk? On that village, whoa. Nain must have been like, what? Here's what this great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people today. And the news of Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. I want you to see that mother had no faith, had no expectation. There wasn't anybody in the crowd that says they were praying. Jesus sees by compassion. 
and the sovereign presence of God raises the dead. So I want you to see, it's not conditional faith. In fact, we're going to look at some dangers on conditional faith here in a minute. All right, let's look at another one. Turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. In Mark 9, this scripture, where it's probably one of the major places where Jesus gets really upset with his disciples. In Mark 9, you know the story. He goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's got Peter, James, and John. Peter opens his mouth, inserts his foot, and God himself shows up and identifies Christ. He's talking to Elijah. He's talking to Moses, and it's like one of those moments. He says, don't say anything. Can you imagine Peter coming off the mountain? I can't say anything about this. I really want to brag. No. You wonder, well, you know, when, when they argued about who was the greatest, I could just see yeah, me and James and Peter, we were, John, we were up on the hill there when Mo, yeah, Mo, we, we heard Moses. No, they can't talk about it. They come off the mountain. They get to the bottom of the hill, and here's where the reality, right? You go up on the mountaintop, and here's reality. hits you in the face, right? I better get to Mark instead of Matthew. It doesn't work. Okay, Mark 9. We see where he opens his mouth. Let's take, take a look at verse 14, Mark 9, 14. When they returned, now this is down from the transfiguration, to the other disciples. So there's at least nine. They saw a crowd surrounding teachers of the religious law arguing. The teachers of the religious law are arguing with the disciples. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to meet him. What are you arguing about? It's interesting. What would the religious leaders be arguing about with the other nine disciples? Were they arguing exorcism? You don't have the power to do it because they just tried to cast out a demon and they couldn't do it? Not sure. One of the men in the crowd spoke and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit and it won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, throws him violently to the ground, then he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, and they could not do it. So it's interesting. What are they arguing about? Jesus says to them, you faithless people, how long must I put up with you? Something about the measure of faith that they did not exhibit to be able to experience the, the torment leaving this individual little boy. And he calls them faithless. How long do I have to put up with you? A little frustration there. Bring the boy to me. If you'll notice, prior to that, he had imparted to them the ability to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. So when you're imparted to that and given the authority and you're not exercising it, he gets annoyed. So they brought the boy, an evil spirit, saw Jesus, throws the child into a violent convulsion, falls to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? He asked the boy's father. He replies, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire and into the water, trying to kill him. Now, can you um, just be, go with me for a moment? Can you imagine the father trying to watch out for this little, if this was your child, and this thing is trying to throw him in the water, burn him alive, drown him. I mean, you must be on your toes every moment. Like, So he is desperate 
to have this occur. But he's already probably brought it to the Jewish exorcists. He's now brought it to the disciples, and there's no impact, no freedom. Here's his response with Jesus. Since he was a little boy, will you please have mercy, have mercy on us and help us if you can, verse 22. Jesus' reaction, verse 23, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. If you believe. Do you believe it was God's will that the tormented little demonized boy would be set free? Absolutely. It's in the word. He came to bring freedom. That's a prayer in line with God's will. You can ask anything according to his will and it will be done. Anything is possible in your life if you believe. The father instantly cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now that, I don't know what measure of faith he had, but when Jesus saw what was happening, he rebukes the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Spirit screams, throws the boy into a violent convulsion and leaves him. The boy appears dead. A murmur ran through the crowd, so he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand, helped him up to his feet. He stood up. Afterwards, Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, and they asked him, why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind is cast out only by prayer. Some translations, two of them say prayer and fasting. One of the ways you become less faithless is through prayer and fasting. That was the antidote to your faithless and perverse generation. Become one who fasts and prays because something connects into the law of faith. All right, let's, let's move on. I want us to see conditionally, when we put conditions on God, if you don't do it this way, you can, let me ask a question, can, can you lose your faith? Can faith wane? Can you, can it? What causes faith to wane? Unbelief. Maybe the length of time that you've been in the battle. You ever get battle weary? You're praying, you're praying, you're praying. God, isn't there an interesting scripture when Jesus said, even the unjust judge who was bothered at night by the woman, he's not even a believer, this judge, but this woman has wore him out. Plum wore him out by her prayers and requests. Jesus, Jesus gives that parable, says, keep on praying. Seek, find, knock. So sometimes, but in our prayer, in our battles, and in the circumstances, I love the theme of what I was hearing coming off the stage today. When you're in a battleground and there's this weariness, and you're thinking, wow, God, is it ever going to happen? Your faith can wane. It can get to, but it is well with my soul. Because even the waves and the wind still listen to his name, right? And so there's this place. Be careful. I know I'm speaking to someone here. Be careful about your conditional faith responses. Here's two examples. This is the traps of faith failure. Putting conditions on God. How about Lazarus' sisters? 
What was their response after Lazarus died? You know that whole exchange, right, that takes place? You can write that down. Look at it in John 11. We won't turn there. In John 11, we know that Lazarus is sick. So the report is sent by the sisters that says, your good friend Lazarus is sick unto death. And Jesus said, we're going to wait. And the disciples said, well, he's sick. And then, you know, it's not unto death. He's just sleeping. Oh, well, that'll be fine. No, Jesus says he's dead. And he purposefully waits four days. Now, Martha and Mary put conditions on Christ. The first response, first of all, Mary's so offended, she doesn't even come out. Martha runs out to meet him, and her first response is, Master, if you had come, if you'd only come, he would not have died. You hear that condition? There's no other way to do this. You had to be here. If you didn't come when he came, well, like we sent the word for you to come, and you didn't come. Then he sends for Mary, and Mary comes out. Her first response to Israel, if you'd only been here. And he gives him the word, says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And they said, yeah, we, we know that about the coming. He goes, no, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Take your conditions off. I am is here. Take away the stone. Oh, Lord, don't do that. It's been four days. It's going to be like really bad. Conditional faith is dangerous. It's How about the walk to Emmaus? A couple of weeks ago, I shared this. In the walk to Emmaus, remember that one? The disciples, after the resurrection, Jesus disguises himself, walks up to these two guys that are walking seven miles to the little town of Emmaus. And he says, so what are you guys, what's going on? He goes, you must be the only guy in town that doesn't know that a great teacher was just murdered, you know, killed here. He goes, oh, really? Tell me about it. He goes, and they get frustrated. Jesus is like, tell, tell me about what I just went through. <laughs> it's like, what? I love that. Sometimes God disguises himself in ways that we don't see what he wants to bring in the revelation. In fact, Richard this morning was sharing. We were going back and forth. Richard had this injury on his leg and is a diabetic, his skin. He had to go to a wound doctor. Well, in the midst of all that, the wound doctor had to get the cardiologist in, and then they found out there was some blockages that need to get fixed. And it's all well. He works all things together for good to those who love him. Now, you can get all wound. Oh, it's not getting healed. Well, there's a bigger issue. We need to get that circulation going in your leg there, Richard. Come on. Sometimes these conditions that we put on God in the walk to Emmaus, here's their statement. We had hoped he was the one. Jesus himself, they're talking to the Messiah who's resurrected from the dead, disguised at this point. See, we heard all about him. He died and we had hoped he would have been the Messiah. They don't even realize they're talking to the Messiah. There's times there's stuff going on in our life. We don't have a clue what's going on. And God is about ready to open up the whole veil and let us know this greater. When these things are occurring, it's always for the revelation of a greater sonship. Let me give you one example here. Turn with me on your outline. Turn, let's look at Matthew chapter 14. I've been meditating on this one all week. It's like, Lord, I need to go deeper on this. In Matthew 14, they've already just had this amazing miracle occur. They just fed 5,000 men. 
with five loaves and two fishes. Now, that's miraculous. They all ate. In fact, there was so much leftovers, the disciples picked up 12 baskets. Can you get that? How many disciples? 12 of them, right? So they started with five loaves and two fishes, and every one of them is distributing the multiplicated food and the multiplication of the food, and every one of them comes back to the Messiah, to Jesus, with a full basket, one for each of the 12. So this is personal. I want you to get this. I'm more than enough. Right? And, of course, they don't get it right away. So they come off that experience. Now, look at this. I had not seen this before. Verse 22, Matthew 14, 22, King James says, And straightway, Jesus, that means right away after this, Jesus constrained his disciples, get into the ship and go to the other side while he sends away the multitude. New Living says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted in his disciples, get back in the boat and cross to the other side. Now, there's a miracle that goes on. He tells all the people, you need to all go on, go on home. Now, you, you, and you, get in the boat. Get in the boat and get on the other side. And I'm, by the way, I'm not coming with you. I'm going up in the mountain to pray. Now, He's the master, okay. So you have four commercial fishermen in that boat. Peter, James, John, the sons of Zebedee, right, Andrew. You have four blue-collar guys who are in there. They know how to ship handle. They know how, and they get in the boat, and guess what? They get in trouble. It says they are in trouble. I've been on Galilee. I'm told that that thing can really rise up and be a mess, Right? Several storms blow down off the Golan, and it causes that thing to become like an ocean. Well, let's read on. It says, immediately he insists, get in the boat. To go to the other side, he sends the people home, and after sending them home, he went up in the hills himself to pray. Night falls, and he's alone. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back on troubled city, disciples are in trouble far away from land. A strong wind had risen, had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in fear and cried out, it's a ghost. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Walking on the water? Yes, come, Jesus said. Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When he climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival quickly spread throughout the whole area. Soon people were bringing all the sick to be healed. They begged him to, to let the sick touch at least 
the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Man, there are so many agendas in this. First of all, the outcome of getting in the boat to the other side is to heal this entire region. Get in the boat, get over to the other side. I'm going to reveal to you that I am the Son of God. I'm going to cause you, I'm going to put you in a circumstance that there is going to be a situation that you're going to recognize I am the Messiah. I'm going to put you in place. You think you can handle all this and you're struggling the ways you got all your, you think your strength and all that, you don't. Even though you think you know what you're doing, I'm going to put it so that you don't know that you have the fullness of what I have. He takes away all that self-assurance, self-confidence and recognize. Is that really you? Yeah, and let me just put this on top. I'm walking on water while I'm coming. Now you got super, is that a ghost? Is that Jesus? That's him. He's walking on water. We're in trouble. The waves, I, man, I don't know what came upon Peter. Just, if that's really you, let me come. Now, I mean, wow. He goes, we got to get to the other side. But on, we're going to the other side to heal all the sick. I'm going to make a revelation in your distress that you're going to know who I am. And Peter, you got out of the boat, but you still doubted me. Why do you have such little faith? So if you look at your outline, when faith fails, his grace prevails. Would you believe that when Peter, who had faith, I mean, whew, he got out, but he then took his eyes off what was supposed to. I love that song, Keep Your Eyes on Jesus, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus, right? And the wind and the waves, they still know his name. And so when Peter grabbed a hold of Jesus, he got another sermonette about, Peter, you're going to have to walk through this in faith. I've got you. Maybe it's later when he's about to be crucified upside down some 30 years later by Nero. Maybe it was then. I've been here before. I know you got me by the hand. Sometimes God puts us in some really dramatic circumstances to reveal the Son of God. Have you ever been in any dramatic circumstances to reveal the Son of God? You know my testimony. I came to the kingdom by a dramatic circumstance of a sick daughter and I put conditions on God. Sometimes I think he gives us unbelievers a little more grace. Heal my daughter or we won't talk. Okay, watch this. Heals her. Okay, I guess we better talk. This ride with Jesus in this life, it's guaranteed. Adventure full of drama. You guys have some drama going on in your life? In fact, I think it might even increase the drama. The ride with Jesus in this life, guaranteed adventure, full of drama, full of intrigue, full of mystery, full of war, and extravagant love. That book, War and Love, man, Jesus, that's it. When you walk with Jesus, you're in the middle of war, Revelation 12, and you're in the middle of the greatest love story ever told, and you're in it. You're one of the main characters in it. Number two, the demonic storms of life they try to keep us from people that are in need of his miraculous provision. There is warfare in the miraculous. And in the midst of the storm, it's really difficult to see Jesus 
and believe for the supernatural. Got to keep our eyes on him. The fear that says they were terrified. The fear is real, number four. It's often terrifying, but when we choose Jesus, he produces supernatural results. Peter did not go willingly. He walked out of the natural to do the impossible. Number five, one walked and 11 talked. Oh, yeah, Peter, you shouldn't have done that. You got out of the boat. Yeah, you were in the boat. I was out of the boat. Sometimes there's a lot of talkers, and we just need somebody to get out of the boat. I think we need number six. We need to sort out our storms to see the source. What is the source of this storm? Is this a devil's storm? This was a devil's storm. Jesus knew it was coming. In fact, he put him in the boat to intersect them in the boat with the storm. <laughs> now, how about that? Did Jesus ever have that happen to him? How about Luke chapter 4? Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, baptized by John, the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It says, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Sometimes when you get a revelation, and the more revelation and the more baptism of fire you get, get ready for the next big test because he wants to bring more revelation of who he is. Oh, Lord, why is that? Because when I come back, I want to find faith on the earth. Sort out your storms. Figure out the source. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you ask him, he will do more than help you with your unbelief. We saw that from the father with the demonized son. I'm going to close with this and we're going to go to communion. But he says this. He is faithful even when we're not. He's faithful. You may be like the woman with the widowed, the widowed woman with the son who, God, I didn't even know you could do a miracle on this. I didn't even know if I prayed for my son on this way. And God shows up in his compassion and he sovereignly moves. Brings revel the, the end is always the same. The revelation of the son of God, that little town name, it was never the same after that. Did you hear the story of the widowed woman's son who was raised from the dead? Who is this man? Great fear swept all of Nain. Or the Roman officer, the day that you're so full of faith, trusting in the authority of the one who's able to raise the dead, heal the sick, and cast out demons, that you don't even need to come, Lord. I know you can do this. Just say the word. However we get there, zero faith, trusting in Christ, or the fullness of God, in the walking of faith, he is faithful. His grace will take you and I where faith can't go. That's the truth. And on that day when it gets really rough and he says, when things start really getting hard and the love of many has waxed cold and many will turn away, he says, I will come and I will persevere for those who trust in me.